If you've ever shaken your head in despair at the way governments on a local, state or national level operate, this is the episode for you. The good news is that there are quite a few folks fighting hard from within to see more decisions being made that are objective-driven rather than KPI-driven. And my special guest on Purpose and Vision, Thea Snow, is leading that charge. Last time, Kate Glazebrook recommended I speak with Thea because of the incredible work she's doing in the public sector, challenging the way that governments operate and inspiring those within to be bold and courageous in making the changes necessary. may not always be an easy task, but what Thea's doing in her role at the Centre for Public Impact is helping reimagine how governments could and should be operating. I'm James Lush, and this is Purpose and Vision. You're listening to Purpose and Vision, the podcast that digs deep into why and how companies are making a greater impact in our world by focusing on profit and purpose. This is the podcast that tells the stories and inspires us all to think differently about business today. At first, when I moved into the public service from uh, from law, I started off my career in law. I really felt that I had found my my tribe, my people. You know, we were all working in social policy and cared deeply about the same social issues. But over time, don't think that those values changed or that that shared sense of purpose changed. But what grew Uh, increasingly frustrating for me was the way that the systems and the structures and mindsets within government make it so hard to actually realise the vision that so many um, public servants want for a better world. Yeah, okay, so this is really good. So, And I'm fascinated by people who have got this ability to see the way it's running and just sort of shake their head in despair as if to say, why are we still doing it this way? And you, through your work now, are able to challenge that. And I'm going to come on to that in a moment. But why is it that you feel that you can see this and others can't? I think there are lots of public servants working really, really hard uh, to try to make things better. But I think they get caught up in a an enormous bureaucratic system that makes change really, really hard mm. for them. Mm. So I think that what I, the role that I'm assuming at the moment in my work with the Centre for Public Impact and the role that we play is almost a role of an agitator, which, to be honest, I think people really appreciate. They, they appreciate the push that we give them. Um, they appreciate the idealism that we bring to conversations. Um, and a lot of public servants who I'm speaking to are giving us that feedback, that they like the role that CPI plays in being provocative, um, in, in asking why things have to be the way that they are, because I guess it, it offers public servants an opportunity to pull out of the busyness of what they're doing and to reconnect to why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, yeah, okay. You're rebooting them. Um, in many ways. Yeah, I think I think so. And, you know, and, and to be fair, they bring us back down to reality as well. Like they will, yeah. they, they, a lot of the time they say, well, we completely agree with your vision for government, but these are all the reasons why that is so damn hard from within the machinery mm. of government. Mm. Um, and so I think that oftentimes it's not a lack of, it's not necessarily a lack of will on their part. They just get ground down by a, an entire system that, that, that makes this kind of way of working really difficult. Okay, 
This is why, uh, for me, this podcast is important. Purpose and vision, uh, it's sort of the driver. Are you saying that a lot of people who are working within the public service in particular, they might have started with this intention of, you know, a great vision and and, and working with that purpose in mind, but the system has ground them down, the processes have ground them down, and eventually it becomes too hard and you just accept your paycheck at the end of the week and get on with it? Absolutely. I I think that's absolutely right. And And I do want to stress as well, there are plenty of people agitating from within the system to do things differently and to do things better. Without question, there are people in the public service who are experimenting with more relational, human, humble ways of doing government, um, but they feel very alone. And one of the things that we heard loud and clear was what they would love for us to be able to do is, is firstly stay connected to their vision and stay stay connected to that sense of inspiration that, that can be easy to lose and also help them connect with with. Uh, peers and like-minded public servants from across the system who are experimenting with these new new ways of working. But you do often hear comments like, uh, you know, I, I, I have to adopt an approach that's innovation by stealth or I have to adopt an approach where I proceed until apprehended <laughs> because a lot of these people are really working in yeah. ways which um, are not the, the mainstream processes. So, Thea, given the fact that what you just described it almost sounds like two ends of the pole, um, you know, they're, they're very different. Polar opposites is the phrase mm. I think it's used. Um, <laughs> how, how do you bring that to that point where both sides can see the advantage in, 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 one, in one another so that we can be more collaborative, we can be more progressive, we can actually get things done? Mm. So our sort of theory of change, if you like, at CPI is that we find, we aim to find the people within government who already believe that change is needed and who can see that there are alternative ways of doing things. So there's there's a great um, author called Donella Meadows who writes about systems thinking and she talks about paradigm shift and how how paradigm shift happens. And as part of that process, she says, you know, you find a coalition of the willing uh, and and you, you you point out the anomalies in the current system, you point to examples of what an alternative might look like, and you don't waste time with reactionaries. And that's really, I think, a great summary of how we approach our work at CPI. We find the people in government who already believe in what we're saying and what we're doing, and we work with them to start highlighting what an alternative approach looks like because there are some fantastic examples from Australia and around the world of people who are working in different ways so that then when we do have conversations with other public servants who are perhaps a little bit more sceptical and they say this can't work for all these reasons, we say, well, look what's happening over here and how about this sample over here. So I think that idea of finding the people who are interested um, and then really elevating their stories of change and and, and difference is, is a really powerful approach. Yeah, I love that. And I also love how um, by getting a few going, you spark a few others to join. So that collaboration grows. And that collaboration also grows once it starts to see once it starts to once it starts to see positive change taking place, and it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? All around the world, we're faced with similar problems. It's not as though they're uniquely Australian, although we obviously have our own little issues. But in comparison to the rest of the world, it's very similar. 
And yet there is always that need to try and reinvent the wheel, come up with a new solution to it. And, and often if you look, and you'll be an expert in this, you can look around the world and say, well, look, they've done it in Denmark or they've done it in sort of uh, Bolivia. Let's take that and try and adopt it here. Is that is that how we best demonstrate it through the power of story, the power of example? I, I think the answer to that is yes and no. So I think the power of story and example is is profound and a really important part of the story, but only part of it. Because what works in Bolivia and what works in Denmark necessarily won't work in Australia because of our, our different histories, our different economies, our different, you know, forms of politics. And so I think that what we do when we point to case studies is try to point to, you know, less less specifics and more approaches and mindsets. Yep. So, for example, um, it's been really interesting. There's a, a great example uh, of a much more devolved uh, way of providing healthcare services that started in the Netherlands. It's called Bertzorg. And it's a nursing model where instead of that very traditional hierarchical nursing model that, you know, that, that characterises most of nursing as we know it, they actually um, push power right down to local groups of nurses who decide for themselves how they're going to see patients, who's going to see who, what kind of care they offer the patients. And it's been really, it's, it's been a huge innovation in terms of both cost savings um, and also providing much, much better services to, um, to patients on the ground across the Netherlands. And they've tried to um, adopt that model in the UK. There's now a Bertzorg UK and elements of it are able to be translated directly and elements of it need adaptation, quite significant adaptation because the NHS looks different to the health service in the Netherlands. So I think it's always important to, um, to look at stories mm. and to, be, to find inspiration from them but also to be really thoughtful about the, the local adaptation that's needed in order, in order to make it successful in a new context. Okay, I like the way you look at that. You, you're, you're looking for the inspiration from around the world, but you're localising it for the context. Um, exactly. How, yeah. how do you know? How do you know what is going to best slip into our system and processes that exist in that public sector here um, that, that look attractive elsewhere? It's a great question. And I think, even though it's quite an unsatisfactory answer, um, that, that you don't. Um, and something that we really encourage at CPI is a learning approach, which government is not very good at. So what government likes to do is uh, do a whole lot of analysis, you know, gather a whole lot of data and evidence, um, think through things in, in a very sort of linear and rational and logical way and then just make a decision about whether something will or won't work and, and either sort of commit to a, a, an enormous program or reject it in its entirety. And what we say is that's actually not the best way of working. And what we would encourage is if there was an example of, say, let's, let's continue with the Bertzog model, if the Department of Health here were interested in Bertzorg, then what you would do is instead of trying to work out whether it would work on a mass scale and doing a whole lot of analysis, just try. You know, just just try 
a localized version of it, don't sink a whole lot of money into it, and then learn and observe. And it may be that you learn and observe that it's completely untenable in an Australian context for whatever reasons, or you may realize that elements of it are working really well, but elements of it need clearly need to be adapted. And then you adapt and you grow in a slow and thoughtful and learning orientated way, uh, which is, you know, which is the way that we actually suggest government should should always do its work okay let's um look at this wonderful topic that you have delved deep into which is reimagining government and i know we've been touching on it over the last sort of 20 minutes or so but i want to just talk about that in a second before that give me an example where you feel um we can really visualize what this different approach might look like you gave that lovely health example and the holland example but give give us another one that you feel is a great demonstration of how by putting A, B and C together, you ended up with a wonderful solution. Yeah, so um, I think it's always nice offering local local examples because um, sometimes the overseas examples can sound um, glamorous and exciting, but again, in an Australia, you, you, you get a whole lot of pushback around, well, that might work in England or that might work in Denmark, but it doesn't, it doesn't work here. So yeah. an example from here in Victoria um, which I've been really uh, impressed by is the work that Karen Kane has been leading for the Latrobe Valley Authority. So um, the Latrobe Valley was, uh, you know, very affected by the closing of the the mine, and the Victorian government recognised that there was going to be there was going to need to be um, some significant investment to secure the economic, social, and environmental future of the Latrobe. Valley. Um, and what they've done in that work is instead of government, a bunch of bureaucrats in the centre of government sort of sitting in a dark room and working out what's right and what needs to happen to support um, that economic and, and social regeneration, they've given power to the community to shape what they want their future to look like and what they need to sort of move forward in in productive ways. So Karen Kane talks about really building on community strengths and capability for the future and on enabling collaboration and innovation and using the best ideas that, that already exist within the community. So, again, it's not looking at this from a deficit orientation you know, from a deficit orientation, which is what's wrong with this community and what do we need to fix? It's saying what what assets does this community have and how can we work together to, to craft a way forward that feels right for that community um, as well as achieving the, the objectives that the government wants to see that community achieving. So I think Karen's work there, um, and if you, you know, if you Google Karen Kane and Latrobe Valley Authority, there are some fast, fantastic um, webinars that she's won, uh, that she's run, one calling Redefining the Role of Government in Community Transition. There's a whole lot of great resource on the on the internet mm. that you can find around the work that's been happening there. I love this. So there's a, there's a tribe of you that are effectively redefining, reimagining um, the way things are being done. Um, do, you, do you find that the public are buying into this different way of doing it? It's a really interesting question. I was actually talking to my colleague David about this today and uh, it's hard to know. I think that the truth is that we probably operate in a a bit of an echo chamber 
and the circles that we move in are interested in these conversations. Um, but is it a conversation that the public more broadly is engaged in and thinking about? Probably not. So we're actually starting to think about that. Like, do we want to start experimenting with having these conversations um, in, in fora that we haven't explored before? Like, is this something that, that you know, that, that, a publication other than the Mandarin, which is only a publication that public servants read, um, would 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 an, a broader publication be interested mm. in engaging with these conversations? So it's a live question for us, which we're quite keen to explore. Yeah, I mean, I just think it would be accelerated. Your the, this this work would be accelerated if you had big buy-in from the public who were encouraging and enthusing about the fact that gosh, they didn't imagine that this could happen, and they didn't imagine it could happen so quickly. I think that's right. I guess one of the challenges always is that, you know, you you asked earlier sort of what are the barriers to this way of working. And I think that um, one of the things that we advocate for is uh, a a recognition of and, um, and acceptance of uncertainty because government is really, really bad at that. And so what governments do and what we all do, I think, to some extent in our lives is we pretend to have the answers because that makes us feel safer, it makes us feel um, more secure and it makes everything feel more predictable. But what we say at CPI is actually you can't know. You know, you, you can, in, comple- in complex environments it's like surfing. That's the analogy that yeah. I use. Yeah. You know, every time you go to the beach it's different and you can't say because I, sur- because I got in at this point last week and caught great waves, I'm going to get in at this point again this week and catch great waves. It's not how it works. You need to observe where the tide is. You need to observe what the winds are doing and you need to adapt to the environment. It's an inherently uncertain environment in which you're operating the challenge for governments in doing that is that the public don't really like that no the public don't really like being told we don't know we don't know how long this lockdown is going to last for we don't really know when everyone's going to be vaccinated we don't really know how to address disadvantage in this population but we're working really hard with a learning mindset to 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 observe and learn and adapt so i think there does need to be a shift in the media, in how the media sort of uh, treats uh, both public servants and politicians. And there also needs to be a shift in the mindset of the public around what effective government looks like. Because if they want announceables, if they want neat and tidy road, you know, five-year roadmaps, then the approach that we're advocating for doesn't really offer that. Gosh, there's so much to talk about. And, and it's really interesting because I feel that we've got to that point where what we have isn't working. And I think probably most people in the country would, would, would agree with that, that the system maybe did work at some point, but it doesn't anymore through you know, all sorts of reasons. But if we were going to try and reimagine that, and I know that you, you're working very closely on reimagining what government lo- would look like, where can, we, where can we best see shift happen is it very much in these local sort of prototyping models that you've got going on or do we have to move the whole thing at once uh i think that um at the moment the way that we're approaching this is more around building uh, 
examples of what's possible mm. at different levels of government. So a lot of the work that we've done at the Centre for Public Impact in the UK has focused on local government, but more recently we've been starting to explore what does this approach look like at the level of national government and have a couple of really interesting study case studies um, one from the Finnish government that's been adopting an experimental approach to education and a sort of a learning approach to education, and one from the UK from the FCDO, the Foreign Commonwealth something office, um, who have been also adopting a learning mindset through some of the uh, or development office, um, who have been adopting a learning mindset to the programs that they're running in developing countries. So we're definitely exploring what this looks like at different levels of the system. I think that until we get buy-in from more um, central players, so in particular, for example, the Treasury, the Treasury Department, um, change will continue to be at the margins um, so, for example, you know, a really important enabler of com- the, the community-led ways of working that I was talking about before is for, for Treasury to become less prescriptive about how money is spent. And instead of saying you get this amount of money and you must acquit to us on these particular KPIs, it becomes a, a, a different conversation where Treasury says, these are the objectives that we are collectively working towards. These are the outcomes that we're collectively working towards or the vision or the purpose. And we trust you to get there. And we want to have a conversation with you, you know, every few months to see what you're learning and how you're tracking towards those, those, those you know, that vision or that purpose. But we're not going to tell you exactly how to get there because we don't know, because we're Treasury officials, we know that you know because you're the community. And that's that feels like some way off, um, although there are examples of it that are, that are popping up. So there was um, a group in New South Wales Treasury um, who were exploring what's called commissioning approaches, which is much more, uh, which is a model that's much more aligned with the approach that I just described than a sort of traditional procurement approach um, that Treasury takes. So there are definitely people experimenting with different models, but it's definitely at the margins rather than mainstream at the moment. Okay, uh, I really like that idea, and and. It, it's very objective driven, isn't it? It's results. It's, you know, we're here to fix this. How we fix it is through our specialty, our expertise, the way that we can envision how this works. But they, they don't want to let their hands off something because that's what they've always done. And this is, exactly. the, I think this is the shift, isn't it? Because often what we're talking about here is you asking X to change what they've always done. Now, human behavior, as we know, you know, getting someone to just change like that is not very easy. So how, no. how do you how do you package this up so that they go, mm. well, Thea, that sounds like a great idea. Let's let's embrace that. I think I think one of the most important things is highlighting the failings of the current system. Okay. So I love the exam. There's a really um, there's a, a great sort of concept and a story that sits behind the concept called the Cobra effect, um, and it's based on a story out of India where there were. Uh, there was a problem in a particular region or town around there being too many cobras. And so the government officials said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to incentivise people to uh, 
to kill cobras um, because they'll get a monetary reward every time they bring us a cobra. And, you know, you can see how that's a version of of what government does now, how it sort of sets incentives and and from the centre defines KPIs and and then encourages people to to meet them to you know whether those are public servants or or people in the community, and so in this context it was people in the community, and what actually ended up happening was um, people who wanted the cash started breeding cobras and then killing them and taking them to the government officials. And I think what that highlights is the way that setting narrow KPIs can create really perverse behaviours. And we, and there are so many examples of government operating as it currently does and being really prescriptive from the centre about what needs to happen and how it needs to happen and all the reasons why that doesn't work. And actually, if you think back to that cobra example, what they wanted was not dead cobras. What they wanted was a safe space for their community to live in. And if they had framed that as their objective and then spoken to the community about how do we collectively work to achieve that, there would have been a very different outcome than there was when they said from the centre, we need to incentivise people to bring us dead cobras, which mm. resulted in actually more cobras being bred. I love this. It, it, it's, it's it's the same thing, but it's just rewording it. It's reframing it. And, and I think it's fascinating when you work with organisations, how difficult it is for that organisation to see it in a different framing. So once you've done, once you've done that... They then they're bought in because they accept actually that's exactly what we want. It wasn't necessarily X; it was Y. Thank you for exactly. pointing that out to us. But yeah. How, how would you how would you try and let that? Let's face it: there are going to be people listening to this all over the country, maybe all over the the world, who might listen to this and say, "How do we get a bit of this in our place? You know, where where do mm. we get a spoonful of this? How do we start shaking it up?" Well, I think that you know, there's this con- concept of entrepreneurs, um, the people within organisations who find their spark in doing things differently and try to shake things up from the inside. And I think that I'm so lucky in my job to constantly meet people who just take it upon themselves to try something different, to have different kinds of conversations, to experiment with different things. And I really think that, you know, despite the system being set up to make things hard, I've now met enough public servants over the course of, of, you know, the last few years to know that when you have a vision and a passion, uh, you can make really amazing things happen at the level of the individual. So mm. I think about, um, you know, One Team Gov uh, in the UK, which is just this network of passionate public servants who are really pushing boundaries around what it means to, to be a public servant and, and, and why they do what they do. Um, I've met some amazing people in Canada who work on an initiative called Recover, Recover Edmonton, uh, which is around urban wellness. And again, it's just some, a passionate bunch of public servants who are, who are really pushing different kinds of conversations. So I think it, it is possible at the level of the individual to find other people from across the world who are experimenting with these models and to start experimenting with them in small ways mm. initially um, in their own context. And where does that, where does that club live? <laughs> where, where do they yeah. find each other 
because well, I, I think it's the it's the safety in numbers, isn't it? It's not it, you suddenly don't uh, you, you you accept. Gosh, it's not me that I'm not the only crazy one. There's lots of absolutely. people, and then it becomes very powerful. Absolutely. So we, we're we're trying to host a number of um, spaces for people to connect and to find each other. So One Team Gov do it. That's that's sort of their purpose. There are One Team Govs that exist all over the world. There's an Australian branch. There's branches in South America and that's what they do. They try to connect public servants who are passionate about working differently. Um, I co-host um, a, a group called the Women Plus in Public Sector Innovation Network. We have over 200 members from literally... Um, all over the world um, and we come together once a month to have conversations about um, the challenges of, of these ways of working and also to hear from different members of the group about um, the different approaches that they're trying in their work. And CPI Australia and New Zealand, so the, the branch that, that um, I lead, has recently also set up a community of practice, um, a reimagining government community of practice uh, where we've invited, it's got an Australian-New Zealand focus, but we've invited public servants from from wherever they are in the world to join us on Slack. Uh, there's a Slack channel that's dedicated to it to have these conversations yeah. and share resources with one another. So we're trying, we're trying to offer and create these spaces where we can. Um, and Twitter is an amazing oh, yeah. place as well. I use Twitter a lot um, and have made wonderful connections with people from all over the world on okay. Twitter as well. I'm going to get all your contact details in a second so people can get in touch with you and inundate you with a request to, to assist or to, you know, to be a part of it. Um, just, just a final word before we wrap. I want your, your take. There are times when I despair, I'm sure there will be many others who despair at you know, the face of government and what's going on and uh, the, the slowness, the, the reluctance to embrace what is obvious, etc., etc., are you, given what you know and where you're working and who you're working with, are you optimistic that we can shift this into a, a, a far more power of, uh, you know, for, 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 for good? I am optimistic. I think this is, this is, this is um, the long game. You know, I don't feel that this work is going to happen over the next couple of years. Hmm. I see this as being a decade or two decade long agenda. But the thing that excites me is the the shifts across different parts of society that are sort of I see as supporting this reimagining government agenda. So there's really interesting conversations happening, for example, around, um, you know, new uh, – the circular economy and new expressions of capitalism um, and expressions of capitalism that are much more mindful of um, the constraints of, of, of our planet. Um, and I see interesting stuff happening in terms of organisational models and people experimenting with new forms of self-management um, and and, and self-organisation and, and networked model ways of working. And I see all of that as being part of the same conversation but in different parts of, of society, if mm. you like, mm. which is a recognition of um, the need to step away from, uh, you know, a very control-oriented um, measurement-based way of, you know, like GDP kind of mm. approach in the mm. in the context of, mm. of of the economy, towards 
a more, in a way, I guess it's a more values values based conversation. Like, what kind of world do we want to live in, and how do we need to orient ourselves as a society in order to support that kind of world? Well, it gives me hope that you have optimism, given the fact that you've immersed yourself in this space for for many years, and um, I'm encouraged by that, and I love your take on it, and I'd be so keen to see more value-based measurements rather than, as you say, those GDP statistical uh, measurements that we're, we're always inundated by. Um, thank you, Thea. Um, before we close, as ever with this podcast, I always like to get um, uh, your take on who I should be speaking to next because it organically evolves as a result of, of that. And I'm, I'm keen to just, you know, let you take over now with, with who we should speak to next on Purpose and Vision and, and, and where that conversation should go. Sure. So I've gone a bit left field potentially um, because to be totally honest with you, most of my networks are in the government and not-for-profit space. But I know that the the focus of this podcast is really on the sort of for-profit, for-purpose um, space. So I've actually, um, the person I'd like to suggest is Jason Tempaki, who works for a group called Amble Studio. Um, and what they do is they actually design games um, which support people to be more creative, more open and more collaborative. So it's a it's a it's an approach to working which is around play um, and using games to sort of build team understanding, build empathy, um, build psychological safety. And I think it's such a fascinating method and approach for um you know, for supporting well-being in the in the workplace. So it's called Amble Studio, um, and Jason is mm. one of the co-founders. And I just think they're doing really fascinating work as a as a as a business and with with a really um, admirable purpose. That's terrific. And what I love about the the idea of play is that we 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 obviously get un- involved and immerse ourselves in it, and and we change without even realizing. <laughs> it just happens. exactly it happens because it's fun, and um, I think that's a smart idea. So that would be a terrific conversation. I appreciate that you've uh, given that a lot of thought, and thank you for that, um, Thea. It's great. So let me just, as I said a few minutes ago, get people to get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you. Where's the best place? Uh, so I'm um, at Thea Snow on Twitter. That's always a good place to reach out to me. Um, or you can find me on the Centre for Public Impact website as well. Brilliant. May I wish you well. Keep fighting the fight and uh, doing what you're <laughs> doing. And it, it's it's very encouraging that, as I said, you're optimistic about the fact that this change will happen, but it's a long game and uh, we have Absolutely. to be patient. But I'm Absolutely. always impatient. I always like these things to happen a little quicker. Maybe as a result of this conversation it will. I hope so (laughs) thanks for your time great chatting thank you so much you too you've been listening to Purpose and Vision for more details about this podcast go to the website purposeandvisionpodcast.com or find us on Facebook at Purpose and Vision on Instagram purpose.vision and on Twitter at purposevision1 if you've enjoyed this podcast please tell your friends and perhaps you'd be kind enough to rate the show This will help others find it. Just go to where you download your podcast and enter a review. Thank you so much.